0: Good morning, if you will turn with me to Galatians, we're going to be skipping on through today to review um, what we've studied for the last six months. So bear with me, um, because there's a lot uh, that we've been studying the last six months, so we'll be knocking through that. I want you to, if you've got a pen and piece of paper, if you get that out, I want to give bring some things to your attention that I feel like over the next year after walking through the book of Galatians would be very helpful for you uh, in your reading time, time of uh, understanding this gospel that we've been pounding on for, for six months. So first is a new book out by our uh, brothers at Nine Marks called What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert. Highly recommend this. Look how thin it is. You see that? You can do this. This is not too much work for you. You can do this. It's little. You can read it in a short amount of time. Excellent work, Greg is um, out. He's just a brilliant young mind, and so I would just um, just hand that to you. I mean, you know, this thing's got four like recommendations from every, the who. It's like who's who of evangelical Christianity. So probably worth a read. Secondly, um, is a book called the gospel primer. Um, uh, I've said this to you a hundred times from up here, but it's, will help your devotional life and help you think about the gospel really well. It's basically somebody just taking scripture, writing out what the gospel is, and then having a lot of scripture at the bottom of the page that he points back and forth to. So it's very good. It'll help you think, pray the gospel. It'll help you, uh, be able to minister the gospel to other people, um, not Sam's favorite book, but still a good one nonetheless. Uh, it needs a new cover, though. If you can help him out with that, that would be really good. And lastly, The Gospel for Real Life by Jerry Bridges. I do think this is a book worth spending a lot of time in. Um, it will open your eyes once again to just the beauty of the gospel and the way it should penetrate, penetrate your life on a daily basis and the way that you can preach it to yourself and others So there you go that's, that's my commercial for the day And yes Daniel and I are dressed awful alike today I'm not sure what that means But we're on the same team So there you go I'm waiting for him to write us a fight song After that we'll be uh, We'll move on from there So today, we're going to be talking about the book of Galatians. We're going to fly through what Paul wrote and what we've learned over the last six months since sometime around Easter. From bondage to freedom is what we've been working around and trying to understand this book and what the gospel really is. And so that's where we're going to go. And the word bondage, starting there, is not one that many of us like to hear. It's not one that really connects to a contemporary mind who's all about autonomy and self-proclaimed freedom. You know, if there's one question that always hits in my office is, what do you mean I don't have free will? Well, you know, you may not be as free as you think you are. Let's talk about that. When you were born, were you born into freedom or were you born into bondage? Well, do you have children? Did you teach them to be selfish? Did you teach them to look at you and go, No, I'm not doing that? Did you teach them that or was that ingrained in them? Did you learn sin or did you was it in you and you participated in it and it just continually put you deeper and deeper and deeper into bondage? That is a beginning point for all of us because without that understanding, we will not understand the gospel and the beauty of the gospel and the freedom that it brings to us. You see, Paul pointed out to us that the whole point of the law was that we, as creatures, created beings, um, the whole point of that was for us to learn what it meant to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we were supposed to do that At all times, that's what we were created for, that type of worship. The problem is that we as humans not only fail to love God as he requires, we love to create substitute gods to worship that usually revolve around us. Things we would call idols. Idols of our own choosing that promise freedom but can't deliver. You see, that's what Jeremiah had in mind when he wrote this. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You see, this passage points out to not only the nature of idolatry, but the result of it. We create God's, we give our hearts to them, our souls to them, our strength, and they end up leaving us in a place of forsakenness where we have forsaken our God and they cannot deliver what they promised to deliver. They are cisterns that can hold no water. So, how can one become free? How can one? Break the bonds and chains of sin. This is the good news of the gospel. That Jesus came to satisfy the righteous requirements of the law. So that sinners and idolaters like you and me can be reconciled to God and worship him correctly. John Stott writes, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be, and God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Is that... Too good to be true? Is the good news of Jesus Christ too good to be true? That's exactly where the churches in Galatia found themselves. They began to think that the gospel of grace through faith alone was too easy was too good to be true. You see, in Galatians 4, 8 and 9, he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature were not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You see, Paul wrote this letter to this group of churches in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, as a response to the report that they were being swept away by false teachers. That this group called the Judaizers were coming alongside of the church, and they would profess that, yes, you have to believe in Jesus and his death for you, yet they placed requirements of circumcision and the Mosaic Law upon the church That they needed both of those things for salvation. Both faith in Christ and works. And they undermined Paul's gospel and his authority there in Galatia. So he writes a doctrinal correction to them. Filled with sharp and confrontational language. And we've seen that all the way through. This is not a book for the weak hearted. Paul has is most passionate and most forceful from chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 6. It is just amazing how he continually and relentlessly allows his red-hot passion for the purity of the gospel to be dispensed on the church. And I want you to understand as we work through this, this must be your red-hot passion as well. You see, Galatians has been said to be the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Its message is that Christ has freed those who have put their faith in Him from the bondage of the law and legalism and to the sin and license that they live under And has placed them in the position of freedom. The transforming power of the cross. Has represented a divine rescue. That provides you and me deliverance. From the bondage of sin and law and self. So as we work through. This unbelievable message. The structure of Galatians can basically be summed up in this. That the first two chapters are the gospel of grace defended. The next two chapters, the gospel of grace explained in 5 and 6. The gospel of grace applied. So, with that, let's start with the gospel of grace defended. Starting in the verse, first verse. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him Who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. You see, Paul and Barnabas had built the church. They had reached the Gentiles with one message. Their preaching and teaching of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ... And they preached, and I'm going to say this four or five more times just so you get it. They preached a simple but profound message. That everyone who has sinned, everyone has sinned and they've separated themselves from God. But God in his inexhaustible love has taken on flesh. He's become a man. Jesus. Who lived a perfect life died on a cross in place of every sinner who turns and puts their trust in him. And they called the Galatian Gentiles to repent and believe in Christ. But after they departed the region, the teachers arrived and began to teach something differently under the authority or the backing of they would say, of the Jerusalem church. So the Galatians were in a dilemma. Who would they believe? What would they believe? Who would they listen to? And this is the fundamental issue for the church of Galatia and the fundamental issue for you and me today. And it's authority. What would they allow to have authority in their life, Who would they listen to? Who would they submit to? What would they believe? And Paul reminds the Galatians of his office and his message. And remember, way back when, his office was capital A, not small A, big A apostle, OK? Not one that he chose, one that was given to him, he was chosen for. And as he worked through this first chapter, he once again points to his office, and then he points to his message. And he said, this is some message that I didn't make up. What does he say? He says this, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me, is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul says, this is the truth, and the reason that you can believe it, is because I was called out by Christ himself, and given this message to give to you. His office, his message, had authority. Now, here's the question, Why do you think? Because I'm expecting that the truth of the gospel, when it's preached well, is offensive. We've talked long and hard about that. Why do you think that the truth, when it comes to you, will always consist of ideas that are appealing to you? You see, Paul did not say that his message was authoritative because it made everybody feel better about themselves. He preached not to be popular. He preached to glorify God and to give the truth. But oftentimes when we hear the truth, and we don't like it. We use that as a barometer of whether it's true or not. You see, why why on earth? Once again, it's back to authority. Who's the authority? Who gets to decide whether it's true or not? Think back with me for a minute. Some of you, this will be recent history, some of it probably ancient history. When was the first time you got a D in a class or on a test? Do you remember that? Can you roll back way back when... It's pretty vivid in my mind. I can remember the moment I had to sit down at the kitchen table with my dad and have one of these conversations. So it's kind of vivid in my mind, but when was the last time you got a D? And what did you do? Did it feel good? No, it never feels good to get a D. Did you deserve it? Yes, as much as you like to justify it, sit there and talk to your parents about, you know, the teacher really has it out for me. And I really probably deserve a seat, probably even a B, but they're just out for me, dad. And, you know, I did all I could. And no, you earned a D. It's the truth about what you've done. Though it not pleasant, it is the truth. Or what about the first time that you saw the little blue lights in the rearview mirror? Remember that? Hopefully, that was ancient past and not just last night. But do you do you remember that? I had this one distinct memory when um, when I lived in West Tennessee. I had been out speaking at a couple of churches, and I flew back into Memphis. And I was really late for something at our church. And so uh, it was about an hour drive between uh, the airport and my house. And so I was going a little bit over the speed limit. And I knew that there was a, just a speed trap for nothing better. It was uh, basically from about 65 to about 25 between here and the door. And so, and the police used to like to sit right on the other side of that sign. So I'm cruising down the the highway and I, I got the brakes locked up and I'm sliding toward the sign because I think there's going to be a police officer right there. And he wasn't there. So then I let up off the brake and hit the gas again, but he was about a quarter of a mile down the road in a different spot. And <laughs> he pulled out behind me, pulls me over. And next thing I know, I'm sitting there going, you know, I'm handing my license and We're talking, he says, Mr. Dole, where where are you going in such a hurry? And I said, well, see, I'm a pastor. And I'm doing the Lord's work, and I need to get somewhere in a hurry. Right. But that little blinking light in his car kept telling the truth about my heart and how fast I was really going. It did not lie. I didn't like that little blinking light, but it was the truth. So here's, here's the thing. When truth comes to us, when the subjective, when the objective truth comes to us and our subjective emotions hit it, which is to be, to be believed? That that has authority that comes to us from God into our life. Or just the truth we like to hear. Or that we like to make it. You see because if. That's where the point at which. the We start to lose. Our grip on the gospel. Or we start to take things away. Or we try to add things to. Because we don't really like that part of it. And that's. The danger, and that's why the apostle picked his pen up, and that's why he pleaded with them toward his authority of his office and the authority of his message. And he he believed, I think, desperately that they would have no other view. I think that's why he says this in chapter five, verse ten. I have confidence in the Lord that you will make no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. The original message which he had preached to them, which he had received, was to be normative. It was supposed to be the standard. It was not one message in the host of a bunch of messages. It was the message. The good news of Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Redeemer, had come. And if anybody preached another gospel contrary to that, no matter who he was... No matter what he was. Paul said to him, let him be accursed. Let him, in other words, be sent straight to hell. So how do you and I make sense of all the voices that we hear in the church today? All you have to do is sit down for a couple hours with a remote and scan Christian television. So called. My wife forbids me um, for long periods of time because I get to the point where I'm about to blow up, literally. And my head is about to blow off my shoulders and I'm screaming at the TV and pointing at the Bible and doing this number. Um, so, but here's the thing. How do you discern that? How many people are being swept away by what enters their home on a television set? How do you discern what is true and what is not true? What is authoritative and what is not? The same way that the Galatians were encouraged to. By devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Knowing and remaining loyal to the doctrine that has been handed down from Jesus to the apostles to the church. It is the authority of the Word of God. At the end of Paul's life, he would write this to his, his mentee, or whatever you want to call Timothy. He said, "But understand this: that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, which that word directs you straight back to the gospel, because the gospel is the only power. It is God's power unto salvation. Avoid such people. And then later he says, But you, Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. Who did Timothy learn it from? Authority. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith. In Jesus Christ. You see, the word of God handed to us is the authority. It regulates our beliefs, our practices. It tells the church in every generation who they are and what they are to do. This is why the Bible has to stand over the church rather than vice versa. It is apostolic doctrine. It has come from God through the apostles and the writers of Scripture to us. And this is why Northwake has always been a church that is driven by the Scriptures. And we believe that this is the authority for all of life. In all of faith, this is it. So, if that's the case, what was the primary apostolic message that Paul points us to that has been handed down? What is this gospel? How can a person break free from bondage of sin? How can a person who is a sinner be set free and be justified in his sight? Here is a glimpse of why Paul kept his focus on the cross. Galatians 1, 3, and 5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Jesus gave himself for your sins to rescue you, to deliver you. Galatians two twenty and 21, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The Son of God loved you and gave himself for you. If justification can come into your life in any other way, than he died in vain. Lastly, for all who rely on works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith... Once again, righteousness. How does that come to us? How are we freed from the law? We are under a curse. None of us is righteous. None of us can free ourselves. It is only through faith. But what is our faith in? Faith in the one That redeemed us from the curse. The one who paid our debt. By becoming a curse for us. This means our curse. Our punishment. Was transferred to Christ. On the cross. He became our substitute. He bore our curse. That we might receive the promised spirit. Through faith and be set free. So what have you done? Or what must you do? To be saved. In a sense. Nothing. Absolutely. Nothing. How can you say that? Because. Jesus. Has done it all. He paid your debt. He bore your curse. He has absorbed all of God's wrath in your place. And that is the power that saves you. You see, back to our simple gospel math. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Pastor Mark Dever writes the gospel message our news is this we are justified before God by faith in Jesus Christ who died for us and took our punishment upon himself only when we believe and trust in Christ will he apply our hearts the perfect righteousness and forgiveness he won for us the point is never that we what we have done the point is always what God has done the point is for him to get all the glory We do not fight our way to heaven by faithful religious observance. It is God who in his great love in Christ reached down low to find you. And in tremendous love he picked you up in Christ and holds you up for the entire world to see as a testimony. Not of your greatness, but of his greatness and his love. This is the objective truth of the gospel. It happened outside of you. It happened in spite of you. There is no other way for you to be saved than to believe this. And that's why the the Apostle Paul is so animate in this book. The only part you play is to believe Either you accept that you are a sinner, an idolater, and you are saved by the grace of God, and you put your trust in Christ's work alone, or you remain under the curse. There's no other way. Paul would say in chapter 2, verse 16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Faith unites us to Christ. And it is in Him, through faith, that we receive all things. Let me read this to you. But I really want you to listen. I want you to hear what Paul writes. But when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son. So in the fullness of time. God had a plan. And at this moment he decided that this was the time. And he sent his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In Christ we are get everything not only freedom from the bondage of our sin but we are adopted into his family with all the rights and the privileges and the care and the love that that brings it is at a human level too good to be true that a sinner and an idolater like you and I could be set free. That we could get everything through Christ and His payment for us. So how do you live that life out? How do you apply such grace? How does the gospel of grace then affect the way you live? You see, Paul writes in Galatians 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. In other words, you've been set free to live free, to be free So, why? Why would you want to go back to Egypt? Why would you want to go back to slavery? Why would you want that? How could you want that? When things get too tough in your marriage, and you turn from doing the hard work of loving your wife or your husband and you turn to other things why would you go back to the yoke of slavery why would you turn to idols and not turn to the gospel and look at how christ has served you and then allow that to form the way you serve your husband or your wife If you're in a small group that is so dysfunctional that it just makes you mad every Thursday night, what do you do with that? Do you just X them out and just say, you know, I'd rather stay home and watch a movie? Or do you turn to the gospel? Because a movie will not set you free. It may numb you for a little while, but it will not set you free. Or maybe life just gets overwhelming and you turn to some substance or some other thing. It is an idol. It is a yoke of slavery, and it will not set you free. Why would you turn to that rather than to the gospel? That's why I just gave you three different resources to learn the gospel so that you can apply it to your life on a daily, minute by minute if necessary. It's the only way. It's the only way to break free from sin. Paul adds in 13 and 14 that You've been given this freedom, but not to use the freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You have not been given freedom that you have a get-out-of-jail card free in your pocket that you can whip out moment by moment and do what you want to do and then go, oh, free, free, moving on. No, you have been free that you might live free not to be under the yoke of slavery again, not to play with that kind of thing not to diminish the grace of God to fulfill an appetite that you might have. So how do we become holy? We become holy, Paul says, by being crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me And gave himself for me. And as we repent of our sin. And we allow the Holy Spirit to form Christ in us. We become fashioned in the form of Christ. That is what it means to be holy. We have this great little saying at the end of our mission statement of the church. That we are becoming Mature and ministering worshippers of God. If you want to know what a mature and ministering worshiper of God is, it's one who does three things. It's one who seeks daily to be led by the Spirit. But if you are led by the Spirit, Paul says in 5:18, you are not under the law." The the mature and ministering worshiper of God not only lives by the Spirit, but he also walks by the Spirit daily, striving to walk this thing out. And thirdly, the mature and ministering worshiper of God sows to the Spirit that they may reap fruit that is eternal. And they don't sow to the flesh. So what's the main theme of the book of Galatians? Wrap it all up for us. What is it? It's faith. Faith in Jesus. How do we move from a life of bondage to a life of freedom? Faith in Jesus. You see, because Jesus is our ultimate authority. And that authority comes to us through the apostles. And Jesus is our salvation, and that comes to us through his cross. And Jesus is our sanctification, and that comes to us through his Holy Spirit. This letter was written to wavering Christians. It's Paul's loving rebuke, in which he's essentially saying, Hold tight to the gospel and warn others about turning and losing it. The gospel is to be cherished, and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So, here's my question to you today Could you possibly, from where you sit, be losing your grip on the gospel? Are you becoming foolish, as Paul says to the Galatians, after receiving the Spirit by hearing with faith, you now somehow think you can perfect yourself by works? Are you losing it? Are you losing your grip? Under what circumstances would you be tempted to distort the gospel or walk away from it? altogether How much suffering and pain would it take Are you on the threshold right now Paul says hold tight to the gospel How much prosperity and comfort and ease would it take for you to loosen your grip On the gospel? Have you become soft? Have you let it go just a little bit to protect something? Paul says, hold tight to the gospel. How much relational stress or personal heartache would it take for you to get? To the breaking point. Are you there? Paul says, hold tight to the gospel. How about people pleasing or the fear of man? When was the last time that that tempted you to soften the message, round the corners off, leave out certain parts of the gospel? Or leave the gospel out altogether. Paul says, hold tight to the gospel. Paul says this because there is nowhere else for us to go. You and I, idolaters and sinners. There's no place for us to go. There's no place for our neighbor to go. There's no place for our family member to go other than the gospel. There's no other hope, no other place to find true freedom. There's no other way to be justified before God than to have faith in the crucified and risen Savior, Jesus. Hold tight to the gospel. So after six months of plowing through Galatians, Could you say that the gospel has taken root in your heart and your mind and that you love it beyond anything else and that you could preach it to yourself daily and that you could preach it to others? Here's a warning. It's possible to give mental assent Or to affirm mentally the gospel and good doctrine. And really not believe it. At least not in a biblical sense. Because a biblical sense, if I believe this, if I believe that God loved me so much that he sent his own son to die for my sins. To be buried and raised again on the third day that I might have life. If I believe that, then it changes the way that I live. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's what it means to biblically believe. Does the love of God in the gospel shape the way that you love your neighbor? Do you love the gospel and know it well enough to share it boldly with neighbors, co-workers, friends, family members? Do you know and love the gospel well enough to challenge someone in your small group who is deviating from it, adding something to it, or being deceived by some kind of false teaching? And then just bottom line, are you courageous enough to actually do it, to confront somebody? Man, I don't have any easier way to put this, so here it is. Do you know and love the gospel well enough to apply it to your wife's hurts and pain? To the sisters in this church, will you carry them? Will you wash them with the word? Are you man enough? Has the gospel captured your heart in a way that it changes the way you love people and the way that your house runs? Has it changed the way you work? Has it changed the way that you interact with this church? Even if it's not popular? Do you know and love the gospel well enough that you would know it if I delivered something to you that contradicted apostolic doctrine? Would you would you be man enough to come and meet me down here afterwards and lovingly lovingly rebuke me <laughs> and defend the gospel What if the purity of the gospel in this church fell on you today Are you ready Because it does Today's the day. Today's graduation day. Today's the day of action. You have been set free for freedom's sake. You are to leave this place and boldly proclaim the cross of Christ to anybody who will give you an ear. You see, you were an enemy of God who had separated yourself from Him, but God, in His inexhaustible love, sent His Son to take on flesh, to live a perfect life. He suffered, He died in your place. He was buried, He rose again on the third day, shattering the bondage of sin in your life and setting you free from the curse that you may live free who doesn't need to hear that every single day let's pray Lord Jesus we thank you for your gospel we thank you um, for the way that it has absolutely obliterated any merit of ours and we pray that we would humbly submit to it that we would cling to it That we would love the gospel in such a way that it would radically change us. That we would move from people of bondage and slavery to people of freedom. And that we would call others to do the same. Pray this in Jesus' name.